Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That's a terrific story. And we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Groundbreaking day in the history of the New York Mets, a historic day in the history of the New York Mets. First, Steve Cohen is officially the owner, and we saw our first official result of, of Steve Cohen's ownership with a statement released just minutes ago from the new president, Sandy Alderson. Leaving the organization at this time are Brody Van Wagenen, Omar Manaya, Adam Gutridge, Allard Baird, and Jared Banner. <laughs> It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, November the 8th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, I thought I'd start with a little levity with that uh, quick intro, taking a scene from The Godfather, because uh, let's face it, give Sandy Alderson credit within, what, minutes of the ink not even being dry on the closing documents with Steve Cohen taking over the Mets from the Wilpons and Sandy Alderson officially being installed as the president of the organization. 
Uh, he came in here and said, this is my organization. You know, I've been hired to make some changes and a sweeping change. Out goes Brody Van Wagen and out goes Alec Bed, Out goes Jared Banner. Out goes longtime Mets employee Omar Manayim. Omar has spanned uh, a couple of decades here going all the way back to Steve Phillips and uh, always a Fred Wilpon favorite and one that uh, I think some thought may be able to survive. But uh, we haven't seen this in a long time here with the Mets. There always seemed to be throughout, uh, you know, certainly the Wilpon ownership and maybe even going, you know, a little bit before that, there's always seemed to be a half measure when it came to change. Sure, there'd be a new manager, but uh, when they fired Bobby, uh, you know, when they fired Steve Phillips, excuse me, when they fired Bobby Valentine, Steve Phillips stayed. And, um, you know, Omar Manaya left, but, you know, some of the people still remain the same. You know, there was a sweeping change when Sandy Alderson came in, uh, but very quickly into that tenure, uh, you know, there was always that Manaya kind of, you know, lingering as he was brought back. And you always knew the Wilpons and Jeff were, you know, hanging over this organization. So for the first time, you really, truly have a clean slate, even more so than when Sandy came in uh, after 2010. And and the thing is this, you know, what is the mindset? And we won't really know for a while, you know, what these changes mean, you know, what kind of owner is Steve Cohen going to be? Um, you know, what kind of executive? We know what Sandy Alderson was the last time. You know, we've heard a lot of things about how he was handcuffed because of the Will Ponds and whatnot. But, uh, you know, what will the mindset be? It was always choppy here. You know, Jeff Wilpon wanted to win. I think Fred Wilpon, know they wanted to win. Uh, but they really didn't know how to win. They didn't know how to win over the stakeholders. They didn't know how to uh, instill... Uh, an organization from top to bottom where everybody knew their role and everybody was striving for ex- excellence. Steve Phillips has always said that when he worked there, it was a very collegial organization where at any point anybody could come in and and, and kind of take charge and, and get the ear of the owners. And that's just not the right way to run things. Now, money will change a lot here, and that'll change uh, everything because that's what, what was missing in, 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 in very large supply uh, throughout the last 20 years, and specifically the last 10 or so after the Madoff scandal. You wonder if the Wilpons had uh, the money they thought they had back uh, before 2008 and Madoff getting uh, you know caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Would things be different? It doesn't matter now. They're gone. Sandy Alderson can now build his own team, and it'll start with a brand new front office. Now, I'm going to give you guys a caution here. Don't fall for the throw the you know the blank against the wall kind of names that you're going to see, and you're already seeing them. You know our good old friend Mike Poom at the Post. You know during the managerial search a couple of years back, it, you know Bob Guerin's name could get thrown out there because oh he had a relationship with Sandy Alderson, and now you're hearing J.P. Ricciardi and even Paul De Podesta's name thrown out there. I mean you're going to hear a lot of the same old names. I mean even heard some you know John Rico maybe being the GM. I mean look guys. If Sandy Alderson's idea of change is wiping the slate clean and bringing the band back from 2010, I'm not sure in 2021 baseball that's the way to go. Because let's face it, one of my biggest criticisms since it was announced that Sandy was going to be the president of the organization is that I thought the league started to pass him by towards the end of his tenure, as well as those individuals that were in that front office. And maybe... I'll be proven wrong, and and maybe that had something to do with the Wilpons. And as I said coming into this, they've never really, even when Alderson came in because he was coming in 
uh, with Jeff Wilpon still in charge back in 2010, they've never wiped the slate clean like this. We haven't seen this. And if you're a Mets fan, you haven't seen this since 1980, maybe, when Nelson Doubleday came in and, and brought in uh, Frank Cashin and the Mets built up that team. So I want to caution, though, the names you're hearing, because it sounds, if you listen to Andy Martino of SNY, no interviews have happened. I'm sure Sandy Alderson has uh, got some names in mind. But most importantly, I think uh, a lot of the speculation, a lot of what you hear comes through the baseball grapevine, comes through people trying to lobby for jobs, comes through members of the media trying to lobby people that they would like to see because, let's face it, they get their guy in. Information comes with that. That's part of the business. So before you start getting gaga over different names, and we've heard Billy Owens and Bobby Heck and, uh, you know, just throw out there. I mean, you've even heard J.P. Ricciardi, like I said, his name thrown out there. Let's take a step back, and the next real uh, thing that we're going to hear from is, you know, Sandy Alderson and uh, Steve Cohen on Tuesday at 1230. And that will be the first time we can really dive in and understand what this new owner is all about, what this new old president is all about, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Now, it would be unfair to go forward and talk about the team, and really the, the purpose of this podcast is it's kind of a tweener podcast, right? You know, we're no guests here tonight, we're just me talking, set, setting things up, and we finally have news coming down. But the real fun begins Tuesday and after when we hear what the plan is, we hear what the time frame is, and... Look, free agency is starting, and I know it'll be a slower winter, but uh, you know when you let go of Brody Van Wagenen and you didn't have any kind of soft transition, and 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 maybe Brody didn't want the job. You know, we're assuming these guys were let go. It's possible they were given an offer not to play on the uh, the Godfather here. The offer they could refuse. Uh, you know, when you're losing power and when you're put under a, a new uh, owner and president, you know, it's not the same, and you didn't come in under those terms and. A lot of people don't want to work under those terms. But uh, looking at the postmortem here of the Brody Van Wagenen uh, stewardship of you know, basically about two years, a little over two years, he wasn't the perfect hire. He certainly wasn't the perfect GM uh, you know, in the job. He wasn't in the perfect situation. A lot of people have asked, why did you like him? Why did you defend him? Well, it wasn't anything in particular about Brody personally. I thought I admired the fact that you know, it was an out-of-the-box move for an organization that doesn't really do that historically. The Mets have been, especially under the Wilpoms, very traditional, very boring. They hired Art Howe as a manager. They had Jerry Manuel. They have very much traditional, old-school, you know, not really sexy and exciting moves for a long time. When they made this move with Brody Van Wagen, I said, wow, well, that's different. Maybe this could work. And when he came in, having the ability to uh, you know, work with the players, having been on that side of the business as an agent, understanding how contracts work, understanding the mindset of an agent and a player, I said, well, you know, he could come in and he could really bridge a gap. And you know, obviously, I think it was Tim Britton of The Athletic that talked about this. The job changed when you went from an organization with a tight budget that needed someone like Brody that could be a deal maker and find undervalued assets in a free agent market as well as in the draft and off the scrap heap to a team now that's flush with cash, at least in theory. Again, until we see spending, we don't know. It, it, there's a good, you know, every, all the signs point to that, but we don't know. Uh, he brought in, I thought, a winning aggressive mindset. 
which especially the last couple of years under Alderson, at least I felt wasn't there. Now, I understand Sandy got sick. And then you had the multiple GMs there that were managing the situation after he was let go in uh, June of uh, 2018. And that was a bad situation when you had Omar and Richardi uh, and everybody pretty much coming in and, and doing what they had to do. Uh, with you know, Rico was in there. Everybody had their role, and it was it was awkward and clumsy, and it wasn't the right way to run an organization. So maybe that was what clouded my judgment a little bit. But I also liked how he went against the narrative. No chance if Sandy Alderson's the GM or most of the other twenty nine GMs out there in baseball would Pete Alonso have gotten an opportunity to win a job out of spring training. He would have been in the minor leagues for two weeks, and it would have robbed him of an historic season. Um, you don't know how things would have turned out when he came up. You know, th- uh, the course of a lot of things changes. So I admired him for that. He inherited a pitching staff that was about to expire like a carton of milk because they were, you know, either the, the ticking time bomb on the injuries, and you saw that with uh, Syndergaard, free agency coming at them. He made short-term moves, but they were bold. And let's face it, they almost worked out. He almost made the postseason in 2019. And if that team gets... That team that had a a, a run there in the second half that rivaled pretty much any Mets team in their history, including the 86 team. Look at the numbers. Look at the wins. Um, It would have been really interesting to see that particular team with that pitching staff in a short series, especially because you could have moved one of those starters into the bullpen. He was also able to broker deals that many front offices couldn't do or wouldn't do when it came to the last two drafts, you know, going out there and and trying to put all the chips to the center of the table and get the best talent available in the first few rounds, even though it sacrificed depth, you know, he played the odds here and said, you know, the odds are you're not going to have a lot of these guys work out, especially after rounds three, four, five. Let's go and try to, you know, swing for the fences here. Now, what is that going to mean? History will judge Brody Van Wagenen maybe many years from now. You know, who knows what kind of legacy he left behind in terms of the last two drafts. Uh, we're going to see. Who knows? Maybe Sandy Alderson gets to another World Series with someone else's players, just like he did in large part in 2015 with Omar Minaya's draft. So, And that's the case for every GM. I mean, I'm not going to criticize uh, Sandy too much on that. Um, in the end, Brody did not get the same press or the same rope that Alderson did, the same press and rope that I know Alderson will get again. This is Sandy's gig now. He made it very clear by the move he made. He, 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 he's putting all this on him. He's a transitional figure, I believe. Uh, he'll be here to clean this up and put the right people in place and then move on out. I can't see him being here more than a, a couple of years. This is a guy that's going to be like a John Sherholtz in L.A. or how Pat Gillick moved out of the you know the GM role and kind of moved into a, a, a president role with the Phillies. He's, he's at a different level now. I'm going to make a, a couple of words of caution here. First, I don't want to hear any excuses and nonsense. Yes, this is going to be a chaotic transition. No doubt about it. It's going to be chaotic. Uh, it's a complicated transaction that probably, you know, in a perfect world should have happened during the season. But we all know why that can't happen. Um, is Sandy going to get a transition period with the media? This, you know, one that Brody didn't get? I, I don't know. I I. I think he will. I think the media will give him uh, some rope here. I don't want any jokes about the outfield. I don't want to hear about any of the fruit and nuts aisle jokes. I don't want any of the condescending nonsense. I got to tell you, I'm not in the mood for it. 
all that garbage has to be in the past. This is serious now. You have a serious owner who has serious money, an organization that and a fan base that's thirsting for a championship. This is now at New York Rangers 1940. Maybe not that bad, but it's heading in that direction with the Mets needing to go in that route. The Mets may not be the Cubs and the Red Sox because it hasn't been 80 years, but they're heading into that realm uh, where they're kind of the team that's been through a lot. They're the team that hasn't won in a while, even though they've had some flashes of success. And, you know, the fans are hungry and, and they want to win and, and they don't want to be laughing stocks anymore. Um, here are the things that I do want to hear. And I'll be honest with you, none of this is negotiable. And I think you all would agree with that. One, how are you going to contend in 2021? I don't want to hear anything about 2021 being a punted season. I don't want to hear anything about the pandemic. I don't want to hear about it. We all get that. There is no excuse, no reason in a market where there'll be a lot of supply and demand that favors good value deals, getting good players on value deals, why this team can't contend in 2021, and they're not going to hamper the future. You have money to go now into the free agent market, and probably that's the way you want to go because as you transition – the mistake that a lot of people criticized Brody Van Wagenen for was jumping in, not really knowing the organization. Sure, he had Manaya there, but where the Kelnick trade, uh, they may have had to take a step back, was you really didn't know the players all that well that you were dealing. Uh, what's really different for, with this with Sandy? I mean, I hear all oh, Sandy was you know in the organization two years ago. Sandy's been in a no really a, a, a consulting gig. That's a basically a phone call gig. He was not involved with the A's. Stop it. Stop it. He's out of touch right now for the last two years. And that's a long time in this game. That's a long time, in my opinion. So he's not coming in. This is not like a tri- you know, a bicycle where you, ru- you know, you're jumping right back on. He's going to need that trans- transition period, but no excuses. This team needs, they have some good young positional players. They still have J- DeGrom in his... Uh, you know, in his, you know, he's getting into the laterish prime, but he's in his prime. How are you going to improve on player development, which has been lacking, especially on the pitching side, the last few years? That was a strength early in in uh, Alderson's tenure, where the pitching was coming through at a more robust rate, and they couldn't develop any positional players for the most part. Uh, now it's the other way around. You've had all these young positional players. You have uh, Jimenez and Rosario. And Alonzo and McNeil and you know who else knows what you know will come through here and the pitching especially you know no bullpen arms team can't develop any bullpen arms the only team in baseball that you can't get one guy coming out of that bullpen that was homegrown uh, and the bullpen that just undermined you know a couple of seasons now uh, in the last few years what kind of organization are you going to run the philosophy the mindset. I don't want to hear, well, we want to win a World Series. I've heard that for 20 years. You know, really. Um, What kind of team? You know, I I also don't think Sandy Alderson's antiquated way of looking at the game, and it was he was very clear about that during his last tenure. You know, well, if you hit home runs, you know, the team wins 60-something percent of the time. You know, I don't want a team of Jay Bruce. This team has evolved from that. They have guys like Jimenez and McNeil. And, uh, you know, uh, guys like that, that make it a little bit more diversified offense. You know, Nimmo has come into his own. Um, I don't want this same boring five-year plan speech 
the same kind of way he came in in 2010, which he had to because of the finances and because the farm system. Maybe it wasn't as a dearth of talent as we thought, but uh, you know there was still a lot of work to be done at that at that point. This is a team that has good bones and can win very quickly, and you can do that when you have money without sacrificing the future. He had to do something different last time. He doesn't have to do that now. I know that's what Jerry Reinsdorf wants. I know uh, that's what the four owners that voted against him want. I know that that's what the you know term paper crowd, I call them, the guys that like to go out and write thesis on team building and, and like to cover minor league baseball and, and, and are more concerned about winning Baseball America's uh, organization of the year rather than winning championships. That's what they want. That's not what I want. You can do all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I really want to hear something of substance. I don't want the, uh, Twinkie Munch, uh, and that's probably what I'm going to get at 1230 on Tuesday, a Twinkie Munch scenario where they're going to throw softballs at Sandy. They're going to reminisce about the old days. They're going to tell him how how great things are and Cone will say some nice things. You can't really lose the press conference, but will there be any meat on Tuesday? And I tell you, if there's not, you're going to hear from me later next week. And I'm going to talk about that because this now is a situation where it's serious. You've got the money. The excuses are gone. The cloud of the Wilpons has been lifted. It's official. They're gone. There's no other snafus that are going to go go down. No other snafus. So um, it'll be real interesting to see what Tuesday brings. And I'll be, I'll be tuning in. I know you will be. And a new era of Mets baseball is here. But I will say this. You got to give Sandy Olson credit. Came in, boom, within seconds, purged the front office. I feel bad for Brody Van Wagenen. Guy went out there, put himself out there, didn't work out. But uh, I have to say, that's really why I admired how he came in. He tried to do something here with a really tough job, a job that even Steve Phillips, former Mets GM who's on SiriusXM, has said uh, is probably the hardest job or one of the hardest jobs in sports because. You're expected to be the Yankees. You never have had the money like the Yankees. Well, now you do. And you're also, even if you have the money like the Yankees, you're living in the shadow of that history and tradition and all those championships. No matter what you do, it always is going to pale in comparison because you're not them. And the Mets have to continue, like I said, to embrace not necessarily the miracle hope and believe, because sometimes that gets a little played out, but stay true to being a team that's a blue-collar working-class team, but one that is professional, strives for winning. And, you know, you can still be blue-collar and working-class, but have the right mindset when you go about your craft and go about uh, winning. The LOL, the laugh-out-loud Mets crowd, we don't want to hear that anymore. That's not what this is all about. This is about muscling in and consistently playing with the big boys, not for a year or two, being considered in that same class as Boston and the Dodgers. And the Yankees. Uh, and I mean, lately it's been the Cubs as well, but who knows with what's going on there and with Theo Epstein potentially, you know, working his way out, how that'll transition in, in, in that narrative. But uh, be that as it may, 1230 Tuesday, we'll find out more about what this new tandem, Steve Cohen, the owner, Sandy Alderson, the president, and who else will be underneath them. We'll find out about that more on Tuesday. We're going to take a quick break. When I return, the media narratives are flying with the Mets. Be careful about your expectations. I've talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about this again. 
and be careful about what you pay attention to and what you lend credence to. There's a lot of crap out there already. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Doc Gooden had many classic outings as a member of the Mets. What was his best? We asked the man himself when he joined me on the Talking Mets podcast. I think it was 85. I was in L.A. Um, I think the score was 2 nothing or 3 nothing, And Gary Carter was catching me. I didn't throw a breaking ball into the seventh inning. And I remember the ninth inning, they got a couple of guys. It might have been a base load. They got on a couple of guys got on base. And they had three lefties coming up. I think I struck two of them out. And then I think Terry Whitfield popped up in the game. I thought that was my best game. You know, looking back at it, just top of my head. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. So now that Steve Cohen is the owner, the narratives are flying. It was almost immediate. It was funny. What the, the, the deal closed Friday afternoon, and by Friday night, the Jill Shermans, the Ken Davidoffs, they were all flying with their, you know, columns. Well, you know, Ken Rosenthal, well, you know, the, the Mets are finally liberated. They're, they're going to spend their big players now. There was no criti- There's no criticisms on the Mets now. None, zero, zilch. They're all the Mets are cool. The Mets are cool now. We'll see how long uh, that goes. Now the first narrative is the Mets are going to be in and spend on every single free agent, basically playing baseball monopoly. You're going to hear this because the agents want this, and the agents are going to perpetuate this with their sources of the media. Uh, the newspapers overnight have dropped the laugh out loud Mets tag. Well, they'll keep that in the closet. That'll come back when it's convenient, but that's not relevant right now. Because uh, they know the fans will feed into that. And the fans are going to feed into because they've been so, uh, you know, damaged from the lack of success, from the bad things that happened, from the heartbreak mainly, from not being able to really play in the deep end of the pool consistently in uh, the free aging game, that they're going to love this. And I see the fans, oh, they're going to go out and they're going to sign George Springer and Real Muto and Bauer and trade for Lindor. And it's like, whoa, slow down, guys. As I've said multiple times, and this will come, and and this will be true, and and you heard it here. I, I'm telling you, there is a finite budget. This is a pandemic sports economy, and there's a CBA on the horizon that needs to be negotiated, that requires politics from the owners. Cohen would not have gotten approved if he came in like a swashbuckler. And do you think for a minute that while the owners and Rob Manfred are going to try to negotiate a CBA and going to cry poverty. And this time I got to tell you, I got to be on their side because, you know, you lose 40% of your revenue, which if you believe that, I, I don't have any idea what percentage of the revenue is physical fans in the in, in the stands and whatnot. That's a pretty big deal. And players better wrap their heads around any company that loses 40% of its revenue. There are consequences for the employees. That doesn't matter what's what you're in. You could be selling news, you could be selling newspapers, or you could be, you know, running a baseball team. I understand that Steve Cohn and anybody who's interested in learning more about Steve Cohn is a book called Black Edge. Haven't finished reading it, but read a lot of it, and especially at the beginning, it really gets into uh, who Cohn was and how he came into you know being this pioneer and this this big shot on Wall Street. Uh, He's a pioneer in his industry. He spent money to make money. He he always was pushing to be 
bigger and better than what he was. You know, when hedge funds became kind of this thing, he was one of the pioneers of that. He doesn't like to lose. There's actually a story in the book about him competing with another uh, tycoon for a mansion in Connecticut. And you can just, from that story about how he went out there and and, and the guy was trying to basically convince him not to, you know, because he knew he couldn't beat him with the money. Um, the guy called him up and said, hey, my wife really likes this 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 house and, you know, could you kind of let me have it? And he's like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get this house. And then he get by the house and he basically bulldozes it and puts up his own palace. Um, but, you know, even with that, you know, Mets fans are hearing me say that. They go, see there, there's there you go. That's that's exactly what we're talking about. I don't think he's just going to spend money for the sake of it. He's in for some losses here. There's been reports that he's going to lose, you know, uh, you know, four to five, you know, half a billion dollars in the coming years. This team has serious debt. This team has serious financial problems. Uh, the fact that that he's here is probably the only thing that's stopping uh, this team from going into this, you know, real austerity period that they would have been in with Wilpon ownership or maybe any other ownership, including the A-Rod ownership uh, that potentially was going to come in. What I and, I and I talked about this a few weeks back when we had our podcast, Beware of Shiny Objects, because I saw it starting right then and there. Do you want to win in the offseason headlines or do you want to win? Because that's what could happen here. Lindor and the talk about Francisco Lindor is exactly what I'm talking about. Lindor is a really good player. Why are you going to give up a bunch of prospects? And by the way, I don't know what pitching the Mets can really afford to give up. You know, there's Matthew Allen, there's Wolf, there's some of the young pitchers they've drafted over the last couple of years. They don't have a lot of depth in that regard. I can't see Cleveland doing a deal without getting some pitching back for the Mets. All all of a sudden, Pete Alonso has a bad eight-week period. You're ready to throw him off the island here. You know, Pete has some, you know, leadership qualities that you necessarily can't replicate through OPS Plus and UZR and the other, you know, stats and whatnot. I don't necessarily, I think defense up the middle is important, and I certainly would love to have a shortstop that could hit with power and run and play plus defense. There's no doubt about it. Do I want to give up four or five players for him when you could sign him in a year? That's my point. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. And, and I think when I see headlines that go, the Indians are trying to drag the Mets into this, that's a little bit of a you know new front office, maybe a little chaotic transitional front office, no different than what Jerry Depoto did in, uh, with Seattle with with Brody Van Wagenen, um, and and let's see what we could get out of them and maybe do a massive overpay. Lindor didn't have a great pandemic uh, season. I'm willing to throw that out. 2019 was not a classic offensive season from him either. We don't know. I you know I don't watch him enough. I know the stats. I've seen him a little bit. But we don't know what kind of person he is. We don't know if he can handle not only New York, but what happens when he gets a big contract? You know, players, they get their contracts and then they retire mentally. You got to be right. You don't want to start giving up guys like McNeil or Nimmo, uh, Matthew Allen, whatever. Whatever the package is going to be, Alonzo, and get a guy back that, A, you got to make sure you sign, and B, who is this guy that you're getting? Well, you know, you're all looking at him on, the, on fan graphs or baseball reference. The other thing. Could we start to look at what this team needs? George Springer, you know, I go to MLB trade rumors in their top 50 free agents. I see the Mets signing Real Muto. Okay, that makes sense. Risky, you know, five-year deal, risky deal. But if the Mets sign Real Muto and that's their offensive player all offseason, I'm not going to cry about that. You know, I just hope they do their due diligence on the health 
and, and, and some of the other things about his willingness to play in New York and all that other stuff. The other uh, free agent is Charlie Morton. And I'm like, well, last I looked, this team's pitching was so bad, they're starting rotation at an ERA in the sixes at one point. Um, they have DeGrom, uh, they have Peterson, they have Lugo. Uh, and, you know, if you want to count Mats, who you know had an awful season, but to me now, Mats is like a six, seven, eight guy that has to earn his way back into the rotation. Kilame, Oswald, young pitchers who've really not established themselves. Uh, you know, Syndergaard, you don't know when he's coming back. You're going to probably say all-star break maybe later. Who knows? Uh, you got maybe, you know, you got an ace and you got a couple of, okay, you know, Lugo. I think Lugo could be good, but who knows? And, and you're just going to add Charlie Morton? I mean, Charlie Morton's like 36, 37 years old. He's a good pitcher, and I've wanted him on this team. I talked about him a couple of years ago. Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to get the big splash of Real Muto, and then we're just, you know, going to sit back and, and go back to, you know, the same pitching staff. You know, Real Muto will help with the framing and the defense and the leadership, but you still need good arms to win. Real Muto can't pitch. I don't understand where George Springer, everybody, oh, George Springer from Connecticut, let's bring him in because, you know, he's with Houston. It's a sexy move. He's going to be a corner outfielder from all reports in a couple of years. He's on that point of his career where center field is, is not his future. You already got a ton of corner guys. That doesn't help. You got to make the right moves. What, what, what I, my point here is this. There's a lot of narratives about big spending and sexy names that are all going to make people excited. It's going to make Joel Sherman excited. It's going to make Ken Davidoff excited. It's going to make the Ken Rosenthal's excited. It's going to be great uh, columns in The Athletic and The New York Post, you know, when these guys, when they sign, if they sign with the Mets. But it's not addressing where the team is at. And, and that's what I'm about. That's what Steve Cohen should be about. That's what I believe Sandy Alderson will be about. You have a couple of ways you can go. Are you going to go and, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, go the Bauer plus some short-term vets to fill out the rotation? You go really big, which if you go after Bauer, I- I'm assuming you can't do a real Muto or any big offensive name. I think you have one big player that you can sign this offseason, and I think it's either going to be the big fish like the pitcher and I think he's a risk bower. I'm not sure how I feel about him in New York. I mean, in a vacuum, I'd love to have him over anybody. And then you have the catcher, Real Muto. Both come with risks. Those are the two big names that, if, I, if the Mets go after, those are the ones I support. I'm less interested in Springer. I'm not interested in a Lindor trade. I just am not. I'll wait for him to be a free agent. I'm not about to give up three, four, or five players, including probably pitchers of the minor league system, when you don't have that depth. They're not going to do a deal with Pete Alonso as the center. A first baseman DH with power is not going to be the kind of deal that these guys want for a shortstop and up the middle guy. They expect a lot more. I'm sorry. That's my feeling. But, you know, if you go and sign a Bauer, then you could fill out the rotation with veterans, you know, Morton, maybe a Jake Arrieta, a Porcello you could even think about bringing back. Maybe you go and go and get like a Chris Archer type, someone who's been down on his luck had surgery and maybe has a, a chance to, to bounce back? Or do you go back, and we still don't know if Stroman's going to accept the qualifying offer, and if I were Stroman, I'd seriously consider it. Kudos to Stroman for you know using COVID as a nonsense excuse to basically not want to pitch and put himself at risk in a, in a season he viewed as uh, not worth his time, like some others. Uh, but if I were him, and, and if he does go out and bets on himself, I, I can't criticize anybody for doing that. But I'd seriously consider that $19 million one-year offer. Get into a real 162-ish 
game season and and then try to rebuild up and maybe get a longer term deal next year. That would be something I'd consider. But again, maybe his agent has, you know, the inside track on on a more of a bidding war than I believe there. But if you do and either Strowman accepts the qualifying offer, then you can maybe go after a Mike Miner, a John Lester. You need two starting pitchers. You need one of some serious impact and then another where the floor is not Michael Waka's floor. It's not Rick Porcello's floor, necessarily. I don't mind bringing Porcello back, but it's got to be not the main pitching move that you make like last winter when you still were dealing with a finite budget and what have you are there. Here's another thing when it comes to narratives. It started already, and I'm going to put a stop to this right now because this has been going on now for three or four years. It's agitating. It's annoying. And all it is is to get clicks and sell newspapers the Mets-Yankees deals, and how in the past it's always been using the Mets as the Yankees' farm system or the desire of the media to use the Mets as the Yankees' farm system. Now it's ways to create some buzz where, I mean, Luis Guillerme is a really nice backup, maybe a guy who could be a starter. And I said that if you go with Andres Jimenez at short and you trade Rosario, Guillermo to me would be that, you know, normally you'd want a veteran in case Jimenez doesn't cut it or maybe takes a step back and needs to potentially get sent down. That's always a risk when you hand over a position like shortstop, a key position to a player that only got a cameo in a, in a quirky season. So it's a risk doing that. Guillermo would be that guy. He gets on base, it seems. He gives you quality at bats. He seems to have improved over the last couple of years. He's been very good since the second half of 2019. You know, they got Joel Sherman saying trade him to the Yankees for if they don't sign LeMahieu for uh, Luis Sessa, below league average pitcher who the Mets already had. Uh, what does that do? You know, like, uh, if you're going to trade Guillerme, first of all, if you're going to trade Guillerme, get something of impact, not just another pitcher that has an ERA plus of 100. You could get, you don't need to trade Guillerme to get that. And you kind of need depth, and that's part of it. Uh, the other thing is this idea that the Mets are going to. You know, they really want the Mets to give the Yankees a run for LeMahieu. What the, the media doesn't like is the Yankees are kind of backing off on spending, and they're hoping that Cohen coming in fills that void, but also could kind of poke the Yankees and create this Mets-Yankees spending uh, war, which can fuel some newspaper sales. It's not going to happen. I like DJ LeMahieu, but I don't know if that's the need the Mets have right now. The Mets' offense is good. The Mets need a catcher. Uh, I, I think they definitely, uh, in my opinion, could use a center fielder, but I'm okay with Nimmo in center, and they need to address shortstop. Because personally, I'm not a big fan of Rosario. I've really always been lukewarm on him. I really like Jimenez. And to me, I would go for the catcher. Now, whether that means you go big with Real Muto or you go James McCann and, and spend more of that money on pitching, we, we, we don't know the, the nuance of the market yet, and we haven't even heard Sandy Alderson talk. So we don't know. But that is a couple of different ways that you can go. And I've already said, you could go big on pitching, less on offense. You go for Real Muto, maybe you have to back off on the kind of pitching investment. You know, To me, you have to go. And if you don't get Stroman, I don't know really what excites me below Stroman. Because you got Bauer and you got Stroman. I really think you got to walk away with one of those guys if you're really serious about winning next year. You really do. Uh and both are risks, and Bauer certainly is a risk for a multitude of reasons. Um, but this idea, you know, DJ LeMayhew, 
battling out with the Yankees. It's garbage. It's nonsense. It's for the media. Don't fall into it. Uh, don't don't pay attention to it. Uh, it. It's nothing that you really want to get involved in because it's not true. It's not true. It's 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 all fabrication. It's all the media hoping. It's hope. It's like a little kid praying at night with his feety pajamas on and hoping and praying for something. That's all it is. It's the media version of that. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I have a message for Steve Cohen because what he needs to do from the jump, he needs to look at what happened to Alex Cora, Carlos Beltran, and A.J. Hench. And it's a very good lesson for him as a new owner coming into this town because how those guys were treated last year versus this year and what went down about a year ago, almost a year ago, will show him what he shouldn't do as the new owner of the Mets. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this. We like to dive deep into topics on the Talking Mets podcast, like when ESPN's Jeff Passan, author of the book The Arm, described witnessing an actual Tommy John surgery. I, I, I was taken by it, frankly, by seeing uh, the, the precision, like you said, of what Neil Alatrash, uh, the surgeon, with Todd Coffee, and I don't want to give too much away here, but I felt like that that first chapter uh, that it was important to put that as the first chapter because I think it illustrates the uh, the, the tension and uh, the difficulty and all of the things that this entails, and it, it feels like I, I don't know if it does feel like it. I tried to make it feel like an episode of like a medical drama. Uh, that's what it felt like when I was in there. Like, oh my God, is this going to work? Uh, you know, there was nothing manufactured there. It was an intense surgery, and uh, I think there were points at which people were afraid that things were going to go sideways. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, I, I don't like doing messages to the new owner and, you know, playing like, you know, he doesn't, if Steve Steve Cohen could own this team for 100 years, he, he may very well never know who I am or care, and that's fine. You know, I, I know my influence. I know I have an audience out there. I know that I provide value, so it doesn't matter. But if I were to give him one piece of advice, well, I give him two pieces of advice. Here's what I would give him. One, love the Twitter thing. You know, his wife is on Twitter. Love the interaction. He he seems like he's, like anybody would be with this new tie, toy, 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 really into it. Uh, I'd be careful about what I promise and what I say. Even if you say you look into something, those words could backfire. The whole old-timers day thing. I've been in marketing meetings with the Mets. Not recently. There was a billion reasons why they couldn't do stuff. There was always a reason why. They always cited lack of fan interest when it came to Fan Fest and Old Timers Day. Now, I don't believe any of that, and I think some of that had to do with, uh, you know, obviously the mindset of the organization and, and probably money and, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, the Mets, let's face it, did not have the ability to invest in secondary, tertiary, and, and non-baseball departments, just like they didn't have an opportunity to invest in maybe analytics or some of the technology that other teams were. So, you know, put that aside and be that as it may. But I would be real careful about what I'm throwing out there because these fans will hold you to it. And this honeymoon can end really quick. And believe me, if the offseason doesn't yield a big-name free agent, which I could see that happening for multitude of reasons, not necessarily their willingness to do it. It may not just work out. 
that way. I could see there being initial disappointment and I could see the discontent coming very quickly. What I would tell Steve Cohen, and that really ties into my main point, what I would tell Steve Cohen is don't listen to the media, don't listen to WFAN, don't get caught up in trying to win the back page because that's an easy thing to get caught up on it. John Middleton did a little bit of that in Philadelphia. Now he's backtracking big time from that, signing an absurd contract with Bryce Harper, a guy that I, I just don't think was a game changer for them in that sense. And now they're investing in that market, uh, which is a big market, but they're investing in a guy who's going to be a payroll clogger for a decade. It doesn't make sense. Why I brought up Hinch, Beltron, uh, and Alex Cora is that a year ago we were told by the media how horrible it would be for these guys ever to be in a baseball uniform again because of the sign stealing. Beltron for his involvement with the Astros. Hinch for being the manager of Houston. Cora for doing, well, being part of that team as well as a bench coach, but then having a, a, a mini version of that going on with Boston. And the media didn't let up. They got Cora fired. They got Beltron fired. I never believe when that news came out, when the Astros scandal was revealed and Lundhau lost his job and uh, Hinch lost his job, I never thought, my initial reaction never was, oh my God, Cora and Beltron are in trouble. The media immediately took that all the way to them and had a guy lose his job. Now he got it back. Cora's back with the Red Sox, which is funny how it was, you know, a year off and, and all is forgiven. A year off in a pandemic and all is forgiven. Uh, Hinch is back with Detroit doing a rebuild, and I see the platitudes there. Here's a guy that lost control of his clubhouse and to me showed weak leadership when you read some of the stories that came out. And that was a tricky situation with, you know, potentially losing the Latino voice in that clubhouse and and Beltron being a part of that. Anybody who knows about Beltron in New York knows Beltron had a similar insurrection with Tony Bernazard against Willie Randolph. So that was Beltron's M.O. So it's not surprising to hear, even later in his career, he was welding that kind of power and potentially going to overrun a clubhouse. So I could get it, but as a manager, as a leader, you got to take control of that. And Hinch didn't do that. And then, of course, Beltron loses his job uh, with the Mets and throws the Mets into chaos, and they lose their, their manager a couple of weeks before spring training. Of course, oh, look at the Mets. They didn't do their due diligence. Well, I mean, I just don't see where it was a big deal. The guy was a player. He saw an inefficiency. We all talk about market inefficiencies. And away you go. Um, you know, he took advantage of it. Is it the most ethical thing? Does he have to look his peers in the eyes? Sure. I mean, everybody was going to make a big deal about this because the fans were going to boo. And and there was some incidents and the players threw at them. And then all of a sudden, this thing called a pandemic happens. And it really all kind of sounded silly because guess what? It was silly. And we allowed the media to drive the train. The Mets, cowards. The Red Sox, cowards. And the Red Sox fixed their mistake. A guy who's a good manager now is back. The Mets, there's no really point now to Beltran. I think Luis Rojas uh, at least deserves a chance, and it sounds like he will get that chance to be the manager. And I don't really want to comment on that because you got to hear what Sandy Alderson has to say. Right now we know he's the manager. Uh, we'll hear more uh, on Tuesday. Um, the lesson for Steve Cohen is if you let the media dictate how you do things or you react to them you'll be zigzagging for your entire ownership tenure here and this will become very much not the fun toy that it probably seems to be right now the media is like getting into a cab 
and the cabbie taking you where they want you to go. Not where you want to go, where they want you to go. And they zigzag you around the city. And wherever you land, tomorrow will be a different uh, part of the city. And there's no real rhyme or reason. It's the agenda of the cabbie and what's good for him. And what's good for the media and what's good for the fans may not be good for the New York Mets. And I, that, you know, what really bothered me, and I understand there was a, com- a complexity with Beltron, and I understand that it would not have been easy, but when I saw the organization not come out and support their manager, their choice, their choice that they vetted months earlier, I said, well, who's running things here now? You know, the media runs things. We've seen it with politics, the media putting their influence in. Now we see it in sports. Sign stealing was a big deal. These guys are horrible. These guys should never have a uniform again. Two of the three have jobs. Meanwhile, the guy who really, you know, he was a player, but he wasn't in the game for a couple of years. He's the one that's left without the musical chairs. So that's my message to Steve Cohen. Don't listen to these guys. Don't get sucked into them wanting to get into a, a free agent war with the Yankees. Don't listen to their trade proposals. Of course, listen to Talking Mets because we know what we're talking about. But even me, why would you listen to me? I mean, I think I got good ideas, and I think you should glean ideas from everywhere, but, I mean, you got to run things based on how you want to run the organization. And I, I know, one thing I do know about, because I know agents that have, have dealt with Sandy Alderson, you know, he, he does things his way. He definitely does. I don't think he's going to be that influenced by what the media says. Um, as much as you have to manage them and, and keep them at bay, and, and they are a stakeholder, you have to make sure that uh, you do that. Look, this is no different. Like I said, you know, with managers, with the key to managers, you got to manage the clubhouse, you got to manage the media, and you got to manage up now. And you got to manage a bullpen. That's the manager's job. But an owner, your stakeholders, or an organization, whether you're the owner, the Sandy, the president, you have the media, you have your employees, um, you have your sponsors, you have a different, it's a different level of stakeholders, but the media is one of them. And you have to have a good relationship with them. And believe me, if you treat them a little bit better, and it's not just getting them donuts like Brody Van Wagenen did, you treat them a little bit better. And Jeff, I think, had a lot of reasons why he didn't like them, and I understand it. But you know, he made a lot of his own, all of his own problems. Really, um, doesn't help your cause going to battle with them. But you got to make sure they know you're not messing around. I wouldn't actively antagonize them, but I would let them know that you're not messing around. And, and to me, that starts Tuesday. Because you show any weakness to this crew, they're going to be all over you. And then they're going to take the reins. They're going to drive you to the left. They're going to drive you to the right. And they're going to drive you right off the Brooklyn Bridge. I promise you that. That I can guarantee you. So that's my message to Steve Cohen, my two cents, if he chooses to actually take it. I threw it out to him on Twitter, at Stephen A. Cohen 2. Not yet verified, but we know it's him because, I mean, his wife said it's him. So, I mean, what more proof do you need? So, anyway... Let's take a quick break, wrap up, final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. So what's next? You know, this is, like I said, a kind of a tweener 
episode of the Talking Mets podcast because you have Steve Cohen, you have Sandy Alderson with the press conference on Tuesday at 1230. So the plan is I'd like to get somebody on this week. We'll do something midweek. I think that's going to be the best thing. I don't know if I'm going to wait till Sunday. Something midweek that will be a reaction to the press conference and get somebody that covers the team, hopefully, to join me and discuss. So stay tuned for that. This was kind of a setup, more of a reaction to Friday's news and give you a little take on, you know, Brody and and, and really, you know, the big news, which is Sandy Alderson being very decisive and and, and swift with his decision-making, and uh, it's a big change. A big change. This organization hasn't had that kind of, as I said earlier, that kind of clean slate ever. And we did a little fun uh, intro with uh, the Godfather, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that. That was the, you know, I know that that was put out there on Twitter, so it's not anything, it's not like an original idea, but I thought it was fun to kind of set the the program up. So uh, be that as it may, that's that. So stay tuned for more of that, and we we will probably, we'll definitely, I can't see any scenario that we will not have a midweek special edition of the podcast after within 24 hours after the press conference. Um, so sometime around Wednesday, I'd anticipate Wednesday night, somewhere around there. So stay tuned for that. Um, I want to end on, uh, you know, maybe a more solemn note. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mark at Soma boy on Twitter, you guys might know him passed away this past week. And, uh, the reason I want to end this on this note even though it's sad and, and obviously with so much death and so much uh, bad things happening during the year 2020, this one hit home. You know, um, Dr. Mark was a listener of this show. He started listening in 2008. I remember uh, him contacting me sometime around Father's Day that year, right after Willie Randolph got fired. And then when I had the old NYBD website, nybaseballdigest.com, he contributed and his whole thing was more of the psychological aspect of sports and understanding personalities and how their personality profile played into how they fit into both the team, the market, their role, whatever, you know, the usual psychological stuff. Not real mainstream things, really uh, progressive ideas that, you know, to this day I think are hard to understand and I don't think they resonated to the level they could have on that website. Um, but he was a good friend. He became a good friend. We enjoyed many times. We went to see the Cyclones. Um, we'd have discussions about the team, you know, especially during the Terry Collins years. And, you know, he, he couldn't take Terry Collins. It drove him nuts. So, and, and, and he, he was one of the voices, you know, and, and as I've said, and I've had so many nice emails and reviews on Apple and people that have reached out that have, been the reason why I continue to do this because believe me this ain't paying the mortgage you know you make a few bucks here and there but this ain't paying the mortgage but I feel so humbled that you take your time and I say this all the time and I I just mean it and I and I continue to say it that you would spend time um listening to this I mean recently I got an email from a veteran who said he wished he had this podcast during and I don't like to give people's names out during uh, his time in service and I you know overseas and I'm like here's somebody in in a horrible combat zone you know that would this you know this silly little podcast makes their life somewhat bearable for a couple of minutes in a situation where you're it's literally life and death so that's humbling and it continues to push me to go on and and that's what Dr. Mark did because believe me as I got to know him over the last decade or so there were many times I said to him, I don't know why I'm doing this. You know, I get criticized by the media. I get trashed on Twitter. 
you know, just when you think you've made progress, you take, you know, a couple of steps back, you know, three steps forward, two steps back type of deal. That's the way this business is, you know, chasing guests, you know, there are times you, you run out of material, you're dragging a little bit and he kept pushing me to go and knowing that he was in my corner and knowing that um, if I had walked away, it would disappoint guys like him. And he kind of represented a lot of who you are in the audience. So when I, I knew he, he was sick, uh, I heard of his passing early in the week and there was a, a uh, memorial today, uh, which unfortunately I wasn't able to go to, but I was able to virtually attend. But, um, you know, he, he just was really a special person in the context of not only this podcast, but in in my development, both professionally and personally. So, you know, Dr. Mark, if you're somewhere out there listening to this uh, podcast, uh, understand that, understand um, uh, what you meant to this podcast, meant to me, and, and God bless you. So, so sorry to end on somewhat of a solemn note, but uh, I thought it was important to go out there and say that because I do appreciate what you guys bring and, and you listening and doing all that you do to give me feedback and continue to drive me to bring you this podcast every week, once a week, maybe twice a week. Who knows? So even when we have things that we disagree on or I say something that maybe I look back and say, maybe I should have reworded that on Twitter or on this podcast. I know that deep down we can put everything aside at the end and break bread. And at the end, we just want the same thing. We want to have a competitive baseball team and some fun debate and, and things to talk about both on the field and sometimes off the field. So that's that. Hey, I want to thank everybody uh, who tuned in today. Of course, you could check out the show all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back midweek after the press conference. Until then, enjoy yourself. Be well, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.